Yeah, I think so. I think everything is good. Life is good. Life is beautiful. Life is not a festering pile of dog shit. <laughs> These are morning affirmations. <laughs> <laughs> I'm good enough. It, I'm it, smart in front enough. Of the mirror. And by God, I'm not going to kill anyone today. <laughs> I will have a successful podcast. <laughs> Life is okay. We will one day own a studio that is not in my spare room. <laughs> oh, man. I think I'll have to do a seance to make that happen. <laughs> no, we're <laughs> going to make it work. I'm, I'm bound to determine to make this work. It's I, I got a job where I'm allowed to just yeah. sit in the back room and write scripts. If I so. have to drag you and Ruben kicking and screaming, we're going to make this work. <laughs> No, no, no. It's the other way around. We are definitely clinging to your coattails. <laughs> yeah, I just need... Things would be perfect if we had an editor. I know. That is the most time-consuming, th- and it takes away from me being able to research. Yeah. But that's... That's what I'm... That's, that is my goal right now, is to find someone who can edit this shit. And know, you know, where to take stuff out from us. Yeah. You know, without us having, like, um, God, what, I don't even remember the episode now, but I made a joke that was just, it felt like a fucking fart in a elevator. And I was <laughs> like, that's coming out. But <laughs> like, I didn't like, say that. Or like when I made you take my Rush Limbaugh joke out. Yeah. yeah. Things like that, <laughs> you know. But I'm sure we could say, hey, by the way, in this episode... Josh said this. Can you take yeah, Josh, Josh made a, a joke that would have immediately alienated half of our early audience. <laughs> <Yeah>. And <laughs> we, we want to take that one out. We only had two people listening at the time. So, but, uh, so anyways, hi everybody. Welcome to the midweek corner cafe gossip episode. I'm getting it. Yeah. I'm getting you got it. it. I'm no, getting you better it. at it. It's perfect. Um, and we're going to do kind of a little detour today because I'm bored. <laughs> and I found two stories that were really, really interesting to me. So um, we're going to actually do two, I don't want to say science-based, but yeah, science-based stories. Ripped, liter- well, one's ripped from the headlines because it was from, what was the date of it? Uh, August 3rd. So like just three days ago. Is it? Fuck. Yeah. Tell me it's actually four days ago. Okay. Yes, it is. Yeah. Four days ago. Sorry. They don't need. They don't need to know. Yeah. Well, still. So I mean, it's very, very <laughs> fresh. And then another one was just something that I found that I just found highly evocative and amusing. So uh, you know what I found highly evocative and amusing? What? The fact that Alex Jones's lawyer sent a full copy of his <laughs> entire phone records. Yes. And then they were like, "Hey, you know, you did this right." And they were like, for weeks, and yeah. said nothing. And then they're like, all right. They're like, okay, cool. This is now admissible. (laughs) And what's great is that the January 6th committee Mm -hmm. has contacted the prosecutors and said, hey, um, can you 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 pass that over over to us, please? (laughs) Take one and pass it, please. Yeah. (laughs) Give, motherfucker. But um, yeah. So we're going to get started with a... um, the science story from the news. Oh, no, Um, wait. We don't don't have Ruben. It's going to go too fast. We're already almost four minutes in. That sounds right. For a 20 minute episode. (laughs) That sounds right. So, (laughs) so, uh, this story is ripped right out of the the newspapers of Raccoon City. Wait, Raccoon City? Are we doing? We're doing zombie pigs. Oh, that's right. 
Yeah. I was gonna say, man, I've I'm, I've been playing Resident Evil Four in VR. No, so I, that's not in Raccoon City, but yeah. it's Resident Evil. So uh, this headline, this this story comes from NBC News. So I mean, it's it's a legit <laughs> news story. The headline is: Scientists reanimate dead cells in pigs, a potential breakthrough for organ transplants. Oh, so uh, new research is confounding conventional wisdom about life and death. Researchers at Yale University used a new technology to restore cells in some organs of pigs that had just died, bringing the animal cells back to function. The findings, which were published Wednesday in the scientific journal Nature, raise profound ethical questions about how medicine defines death, but also teases new possibilities for the collection of human organs for transplant. So you're telling me I finally can actually become immortal? Technically. Because every everybody's always like... You know, there's that question that's like, if you could be immortal, would you? Everybody's like, no, death is a vital part of the human experience. And it's, that. Right. No, I <laughs> I can never remember the word. There is a word that means a sense of sorrow that you won't get to know how history plays out. And I feel it all the fucking time. I'm like, I'm going to die at some point before I get to find out how exactly the American empire collapses. (laughs) It's like, I want, I want to know, I don't want to be in danger because of it. And I almost certainly will be, but I just, I want to know, I want to be an ethereal, like formless, like ball of light. Right. That just gets to, gets to watch things. Well, we haven't gone that far with this story. No. Well, I I know that, but so my eyes went wide. Brenda parent, the assistant professor of biotechnics at the NYU Grossman school of medicine, uh, said about the moment he first realized i sorry i said brenda brendan <laughs> sorry uh said about the moment he first read the new findings my brain went to all the crazy places we could go in 20 or 30 years the word by the way before i forget is ellipsism okay ellipsism uh, a sense of sadness that you won't know how history turns out hmm. see i don't know part of me wants to live forever and part of me doesn't Everybody's always like, you'd have to watch everyone that you know and love and care about die around you forever. And it's like, maybe, maybe this is a sociopathic tendency, but I feel as though you would get used to it. Yeah. I mean, I guess, I mean, you would learn eventually not to really form those deep bonds anymore. Would I become a monster? (laughs) I don't know. I don't know. Speaking of becoming a monster and completely off subject, <laughs> but since Ruben's not here, somebody's got to do it. So I'm in the middle of, you know, I'm in the middle of playing Fallout 4. Yes, yes, yes. And I'm at the point where I'm trying to help the railroad get all the scents out of Love the railroad. The, yeah. Uh, the Institute. And it's in- inherently the, probably the only morally good faction aside from the Minutemen. Yeah. But nobody wants to deal with the Minutemen because every five minutes, <laughs> the motherfucker's got to come and bother you. <laughs> but um, so I'm helping the sense and one of the sense says, continue helping father until we can get. OK, fine. So I go and then the mission that they're doing, the mission that is to pick up something to turn the reactor on. Sure. Well, to get to the Institute? No, no, no. You're Once you're in the institute, the institute, they're wanting to turn the nuclear reactor on to get more power. Spoiler alert for Fallout 4, which came out like eight years ago, by the way. Yeah. Sorry. And <laughs> so I'm like, okay, I'll help you, dad or son. 
Yeah, sun, and, sun dad. Yeah, and I go up to the to the teleporter to go to the building, and I didn't see it until it was too late that it said, if you get on this teleporter, all of your Brotherhood of Steel missions will fail. Well, fuck the Brotherhood. They're and xenophobic. The, and, I know, but I still wanted to get some more experience points from them. Uh, that's true, and get more of their yeah. armor. And, and I was yeah. like, and I didn't realize until it was too late, and all of a sudden it started popping up saying, you failed this mission, you <laughs> mission, failed this quest mission. Failed, quest failed, quest failed, quest failed. Quest failed, you know, yeah. Brotherhood is now your enemies. <laughs> oh, shit. You have been vilified by the Brotherhood of Steel. <laughs> So I'm like, all right, I guess at least at least this point I'm helping the Institute instead of the Brotherhood. And then I just ended up the last thing I did was go with the railroad up to the Pridwin and blow it up. So yeah. I just killed the Brotherhood of Steel. Nice. So good. Back to the story. Fuck the Brotherhood of Steel, yeah. especially in Fallout 4. The only good ones were in Fallout 3. Yeah. All right. So back to the story. Brendan Parent <laughs> uh, was not involved in the study, but was asked by nature to write a commentary discussing the implications of the new technology. Now, the research is still in an early experimental phase and many years from potential use in humans. It could ultimately help to extend the lives of people whose hearts have stopped, beat, whose hearts have stopped beating or who have suffered a stroke. Mm. Now, yeah. Now, the technology also shows potential to dramatically shift how organs are collected for transplant and increase their availability to patients in need. So when the heart stops beating, blood flow is cut off from the body in a process called ischemia or ischemia, and a cascade of biochemical effects begins. Oxygen and nutrients are cut off from tissues. Cells begin to die. It's a path towards death that causes damage that scientists have considered irreversible. And that's that's where they declare you legally dead, right? Is when your heart stops beating for a certain amount of time? Yeah, or your brain functions stop. Yeah. I mean, you've been there's people who have been legally dead, but right? No, no, no. I mean yeah. that leak. Lots of people have yeah. legally there's a, died. There's like and a, been a cliff that if you go past this point, right. it's going to be you're not going to have the enough oxygen. In right. Or best case scenario, you are a vegetable. Correct. Um, so the new research challenges that idea. Now the demise of cells can be halted. Doctor Nenand Sestin, a professor of neuroscience at the Yale School of Medicine and the author of the new research, said during a news conference. We restored some functions of cells across multiple organs that should have been dead. The Yale researchers accomplished this feat by constructing a system of pumps, sensors, and tubing that connects to pig arteries. Damn, so that's almost, it's it almost sounds like a modern version of the iron lung. Yeah, pretty much. Yeah. 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 Uh, Speaking of which, polio is back. So, oh, neat. Yeah, good on that. Man, yeah. we really are just going. Uh, oh, yeah. The earth has become a time machine. It has. We are spinning backwards. And we, and li- literally, we are because now monkeypox, uh-huh. everybody is acting exactly the way they did when AIDS first came out. Yeah. It's a gay related disease. If you're not gay, you're not going to catch it. Yep. It's just ridiculous. I hate this world. But listen to Two Towns Over. <laughs> we're your escape yes as we talk about it yale has filed a patent for the new technology oh wait i'm sorry the research builds on previous work at yale which demonstrated that some damage to brain cells could be reversible after blood flow is cut off yale has filed a patent for the new technology but is making its methods and protocols freely available for academic or non-profit use that's good they made them open source right basically Mm -hmm. like here's all of the research if you can improve or utilize it do so right that's great that is how especially medicine but all science should work right so to evaluate how well the new system called organx works 
the research that sounds dystopian. It does. I don't. It? I don't like that name. I'm telling you, no. we're, yeah, what is it? We're T virus. We're just. We're right there. That is. That is. I like that you said Raccoon City. Yeah. At the beginning, mm-hmm. because yeah, now that I know it's called Organex. <laughs> You can just see that red and white umbrella logo. Yes, I can. <laughs> yep. Immediately evoked the image of the uh, umbrella corporation. Mm-hmm. So <laughs> to evaluate how well the new system works, the researchers caused heart attacks in pigs that had been anesthetized. I don't always like that part of science. Yeah. The pigs were dead for an hour. Jesus. And the researchers cooled their bodies and used neural inhibitors to ensure the animal did not regain consciousness during subsequent experiments. I mean, I guess at least it's not cruel in that nature. Yeah. I mean, you had bacon for breakfast this morning. Did you think about how that one was killed? I try not to. <laughs> mm, bacon. Then the researchers really good. <laughs> then the researchers began to use the Organex system. They compared its performance against ECMO, which is a life support technology used in hospitals today, in which a machine oxygenates blood and circulates it through the body. Organex restored circulation and prompted the repair of damaged cells. For example, the scientists saw heart cells contract and electrical activity return. Other organs, including kidneys, also showed improvements, the study says. Now, the pigs were treated with Organex. The pigs treated with Organex startled researchers. During experimentation, the dead pigs' heads and necks moved under their own power. The animals remained under heavy anesthesia. We can say the animals were we can say that animals were not conscious during these moments, and we don't have enough information to speculate why they moved. No, Sesti that's said. fucking creepy. Yeah. Pig zombies. Zombie pigs. Dude, they really did. They they did zombie pigs. Yeah. And pigs is only one step away from animal or from humans in most scientific studies. Yeah. So and this is such like a D list horror movie setup. <laughs> this is like old sci fi channel the horror movie intro. Yeah. <laughs> this is like the when it, it takes place in 2080, but they flash back to 2022. You yeah. Know, with the scientists <laughs> accidentally creating zombie pigs, and it's the zombie pig apocalypse in the apocalypse get it right i didn't want to steal it from you i said it already oh, oh did you yeah i said oh. it you just didn't hear me no i didn't i was, yeah. I was gonna say the pig up pig up a porkalypse pig pig up pig up pigopolis i want to tell you to pig, cut it but pigocalypse <laughs> pigocalypse that's it it's porkocalypse pigopolis yeah pig- fuck it fuck <laughs> The researchers do view the neck neck jerk as an indication some muscle function was restored after death. Now, the Organex research is a single study in a laboratory setting in which researchers had total control over the circumstances of the pig's death and treatment. Even so, the early results open up possibilities that would have seemed like science fiction a few years ago. Yeah. The assumption that loss of oxygen to the brain or organs within seconds to minutes means those organs are irretrievably damaged and lost. That's not true, said Nita Farahaney, a neuroethicist neuroethicist and law professor at Duke University who was not involved in the study. The definition of death is a moving target that has shifted as new life support technology like ventilators or ECMO were developed. Right. Ethicists view Organex as ECMO on steroids and something that could change the definition of what medical death means. See, here's something that I think is interesting. You you said you, you read the line, something that sounds like it would have been science fiction just a few years ago. Right. It sounds like sci- science fiction now. 
Yeah. Because literally, what did I just say? It sounds like the setup for mm. a D-list sci-fi channel yeah. movie. Like, does sci-fi channel still exist? I don't think so. I, I don't know because I don't what, have cable. What a shame. I loved all their like really shitty horror movies. What was the one that was octopus? It's like an octopus, piranopus, octopus. I don't remember. I mean, they they had the best, like intentionally bad. Here's a yeah. hundred dollars. That's a where Sharknado movie. was. Yeah, Will yeah. Wiley. <laughs> Just at Will. <laughs> Will Wiley has entered the chat. <laughs> Death is a process. Technology has, at several critical moments in the course of the last several decades, shifted the goalpost for when the process becomes, for when that process becomes, and when we can say that the process of death is ended. Parent. A NYU bioethicist said, uh, all the iterations of machines that can sustain or restart lung function and or heart function have changed our perception, our experience, or when we can say it's worth trying to save someone's life. The Yale researchers don't foresee the use of Organex to treat people anytime soon. Right. Well, no, if they've only just used it on pigs, it's still probably going to be a decade before they get anywhere close to where they're even considering trying it on it. Because at some point human. you have to do human experiments. Yeah, at some point. But that's when it comes to literally playing with life and death, especially the way we're kind of a theocracy. <laughs> when it comes to playing God like that, I feel like there's going to be a whole shit ton of pushback. Yeah. So the implications of only partially reversing damage to a patient uh, who suffered a deadly heart attack or who had drowned are immense, he said. You have to think about what the state, what is the state to which a human being would be restored if they had been seriously damaged by the ischemia and you gave them kind of a perfusate that reversed some but not all of that damage. That could be a terrible thing, right? So basically what it's saying is that if they've gotten too far and you give this to them, it re that brings back part of them, but the rest of their body is still messed right. up. Right. Well, that's something I was thinking about the whole time was like, especially when you said drowning. Yeah. It's they on the pigs, they used heart attacks right. to kill them. Basically, they induced heart attacks to create dead pigs to do the experiments effectively. Right. But so many different causes of death you know it's not like it's going to be a cure all by any means at any point in time because like so for example you said drowning if somebody dies as a result of drowning you still like there there's a root cause that also has to be fixed before there is any hope of restoring any part of them because like if there's still water in their lungs right they're they're still gonna die again so it's or like if somebody gets shot in the head, I don't think there's any coming back from that, even with zombie pig <laughs> zombie pig DNA. Yeah, zombie pig DNA or <laughs> zombie pig treatment. Yeah. I really hope it like becomes known as that. <laughs> like you're like you're in the hospital in twenty eighty and the doctor's like, Well, luckily there have been great new advancements in zombie pig treatments, so I think we can just go ahead and zombie pig you up and get you home in tomorrow. Yeah. We'll uh, dig that bullet right out of your heart, get you a new one. Yeah. Zombie pig, yeah. <laughs> You'll Zombie be pig. Back at work on Monday. <laughs> Instead, the researchers see a more immediate avenues for real-world use for the research. 
Today, transplant surgeons must scramble to stay ahead of ischemia to prevent organs from going too long without blood supply. Organex could help transplant organs move longer distances and reach people who would otherwise be out of range for a transplant, Latham said. It could also prevent organs from being lost to ischemic damage, potentially expanding organ supply. From a transplant perspective, when every second is critical, what if it's not? What if we have more time, Farahaney said. The new technology's potential opens new and compelling medical ethics questions and adds a new twist to some of them that remain unresolved. Ethicists have been debating whether it's appropriate to use technology like ECMO to preserve organs in patients who are declared dead under cardiorespiratory criteria. If we decide someone is dead because their heart has stopped, but we use a technology to restart their heart, even for organ preservation, does that undermine the determination of death, asked Parent, outlining the argument about what remains a rare practice. I can see that. I can and I can't. Because it's their whole, if you, if you, just because you can doesn't mean you should. Yeah. Type of thing. But like, this is, what what we're talking about is the ethics of toying with life and death, right? Right. If we can stave off death as, human beings are inherently cursed. Right? Our one. Uh, some of us call that original sin, atheist. Okay. <laughs> I'm kidding. No, it's 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 a cosmic joke on humans. Our one instinct, our like one truly built-in instinct is survival. Right. And the only one thing that all humans are guaranteed to do is die. Right. It's it's a cosmic punchline that is that is built into our existence. So I think it is only the most natural thing for humans to do to put resources into trying to stave off death for as long as absolutely possible. Yeah. But I think more what they're saying is like, if somebody has a heart attack and dies uh-huh. and is ruled dead yeah, and you're able to get his heart pumping again, yeah, is it ethical to just bring him back to life to take his organs for someone else? Oh no. See, that's what no, I think they're kind not. of saying is, oh, okay. See, I, yeah. If you're able to that. repair his heart and get it pumping again, technically he's alive again. If what caused him to die was heart stoppage. I mean, if he's going to be a vegetable, then yeah, distribute organs. But if 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 he can like sit back up and be like, holy shit, let me tell you guys, uh, died for a little bit there, didn't see God, um, then, you know, probably just let him continue his existence. So there's no regulation for how long doctors must wait to determine death before restarting technology like ECMO to preserve organs for transplant, Farahaney said. If that's the only practical application is to preserve organs for transplant, then that makes sense. If the brain has lost enough of its functionality that you can't live what I'd say I personally would define as a life. Right. Then. Fuck it. You cut them open, distribute organs to people who can still properly live. But. I don't know. I can see why there is so much ethical debate about it, especially right. with people who have you know, maybe more proclivities about playing with life and death yeah. than I do. Organex could allow, I've read that, more time between death and organ preservation. It's also possible Organex could change the threshold of when it's ethical for doctors to let patient, a patient die and then preserve their organs for donation. In the short run, it's not a treatment. 
But if it is so effective that it could be a treatment, you're certainly, you certainly couldn't recover organs for somebody if you could continue to do things to save their life. Well, okay, go. so yeah, that's that's Fair basically exactly what I'm saying. Yes, you you know how I love yeah. to say things two sentences yeah. before they show up in the script. It's a technology <laughs> that remains in its earliest stages, but could be impactful enough to redefine the line between life and death. Which that is, that's fucking cool. That's a that's a cool thing that I I love when humanity does some shit that's just way out of left field like that. Yeah. But then some, like, I've always, like you said, you know, what you should and what you can. Uh, Patton Oswalt said it best to me, and I've used it ever since. Science. We're all about coulda, not shoulda. Right. So at what point does, you know, Organ X, like you said, become... The Umbrella Corp? Yeah. (laughs) That actually took us almost a full episode. We're going to go ahead uh, and do uh, one more. And this was the one that I just found fascinating. And uh, I, I found that one fascinating. Oh, no, that one was fascinating, I'm in, too. I'm in but for I mean, a fucking treat today. Yeah. This is, so the next thing we we're going to do shit. Ruben's going to be sad. He missed it know, is we're going to discuss a uh, phenomenon that I did not know existed do, until do, 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 do. <laughs> until recently called the Mariko Aoki phenomenon. Oh, yes, yes, yes. Don has told me what this <laughs> means, but I will not spoil it. So the Mariko, Mariko Aoki phenomenon is a Japanese expression referring to an urge to defecate that is suddenly felt after entering bookstores. It's because goblin brain want eaten paper. <laughs> the phenomenon's name derives from the f- uh, name of a woman who mentioned the phenomenon in a magazine article in 1985. Now, according to Japanese social psychologist Shozo Shibuya, the specific cause that triggers a defecation urge in bookstores are not yet clearly understood. This is as of 2014. Mm-hmm. There are also some who are skeptical about whether such a peculiar phenomenon really exists at all. I'm going to combine urban legends just real quick right off the top. Books create the brown note. <laughs> there you go. And it's sometimes discussed as one type of urban myth. Now, the series of processes through which being in a bookstore to an awareness of a defecation urge is something that cannot be... Ex- By the way, we're going to be talking a lot about poop in the next 15 minutes. Yeah, if you're not a big poop fan, yeah. you heard the you heard the science-y part of today. <laughs> <laughs> cannot be explained from a medical perspective as a single pathological concept, at least at present. According to a number of discussions on the topic, even if it can be sufficiently found that this phenomenon actually exists... It is a concept that would be difficult to deem to be deemed a specific pathological entity, such as the Mariko Aoki disease, for example. <laughs> the, the, the shit in bookstore gene. It's, it's like the does cilantro taste like soap gene. I have that. But it, it's the do it's the do you need to shit when you walk inside of bookstores. Sadly, I have that too. Um, <laughs> now, the term receives its name from Mariko Aoki, an otherwise little-known Japanese woman who contributed an essay in 1985 to the magazine Hanosashi, which means book magazine. So it was just an article that was titled, I got a shit real bad when I walk into bookstores. Mm-hmm. In that essay, she related how she came to the realization that for some years, walking around a bookstore inevitably made her want to go to the bathroom. The editors of the magazine received reports of other readers who had similar experiences and named it the Mariko Aoki phenomenon. Damn. 
Yeah, that's that's your that's your that's your legacy. That's your legacy. I got the book bookstore shitting, Gene. Ouch. Yeah. Possible theories behind the phenomena includes the smell of paper or ink having a laxative effect. I was gonna say that, like that was when you when you told me about this immediately. My first thing was it has to be something to do with the smell. Surely. Um, the association with reading on the toilet at home is another. Oh, deep-seated psychological explanation. And the posture of browsing making bowel movement easier. So I guess by you like kneeling down, looking at a book or something, maybe. Uh, Well, they they use different toilets in Japan. They don't they don't they like squat. I mean, they use bidets mostly in modern times, but Uh, like the old fashioned (laughs) ones where you squat down over them like a litter box almost. The evidence for these explanations, however, remains weak. The psychological hypothesis that the effect rises from feelings of nervous tension. Nervous tension in the face of all the information represented in the bookstore is supported by certain literary figures who do not attempt to explain how the anxiety-inducing information in a bookstore is mentally differentiated from information in a library or microform archive. So, yeah, they've, they've looked into libraries, and it's uh-huh. not the same situation. It's only bookstores. It's only bookstores. It only works if you can purchase the books for yourself. Maybe. It's if you borrow them, then they don't make the brown note anymore. (laughs) Oh, much better. Once known in Japan, dating back many decades regarding a relationship between bookstores and defecation urge is Junosuke Yoshiyuki's Admits the Hustle and Bustle from 1957. And similar mentions can be found in works by Joe Toyama, in 1972's The Emperor and the Lieutenant, or Shoichi's Nijimi's in 1981, Shoichi. Words 2, Can Sweat Literally, is the name of the book. But it is uncertain from exactly what point in time the phenomenon first began uh, to be a topic of discussion. It appears to have already been raised in the media from as early as the 1980s, for example, or for example the magazine Common Man Weekly, and the August 31st, 1984 issue records television newscaster, newscaster Tetsuo Suda talking about a similar experience. Also, the radio program Young Paradise on Nippon Broadcasting Systems from Nippon. 1983. Nippon. Nippon. Yeah, that's what Japan is actually called. And mm. then that got telephone gamed across the rest of the entire world. So we still call it Japan, even though it's Nippon, Nippon. or Nihon. Okay had a corner for sharing bowel movement related episodes. And one time um, the defecation urge felt in bookstores was discussed by being referred to as the Yoshiko Yamada syndrome. Volume 39 of book magazine um, contains a man from Ikoma city in Nara prefecture discussing a similar experience. I love book magazine. I do too. <laughs> that's so great. It's like you love books so much that you need to read a smaller book. That's all about books, right? Although this man's account of his experience did not garner any particular attention at the time of Volume 39's publication, the magazine pu- magazine's publisher Koji Maguro later conjectured that the phenomenon probably already existed, quote-unquote, below the radar, even before Mariko Aoki. So the name Mariko Aoki phenomenon had its beginnings in a real-life experience account sent to the reader's letters column of the Japanese magazine Book Magazine, in 1985 again love that so much <laughs> printed in the magazine's 40th volume 
The letter was by a woman from Suginami City in Tokyo who was 29 years old at the time and stated, I'm not sure why, but since about two or three years ago, whenever I go to a bookstore, I am struck by the urge to move my bowels. The magazine's publisher, Koji Maguro, has, had re, has recalled that at the time, chief editor Makato Shina included the letter because he thought it was amusing. Although the letter itself was short in length and was not argumented by any particular editorial comments, immediately upon the magazine's publication, a large number of readers troubled by the same phenomenon set opinions in to the editorial department. Due to the scale of the reaction, the next issue included a special feature article bearing the sensational title, The Phenomenon Currently Shaking the Bookstore Industry, (laughs) (laughs) containing discussions on the issue from various perspectives. Local bookstore owners pissed about how frequently they have to clean their bathrooms. (laughs) In the course of such... No pun intended. (laughs) In the course of such discussion, the phenomenon and sudden occurrence of a defecation urge when in bookstores came to be named the Mariko Aoki Phenomenon, after the author of the original letter. In relation to this, it has been noted that it was popular in late 1980s Japan to have words ending with phenomenon. An example being... I know, every time I hear that word, I have cursed the show. An example example being uh, the use of the expression Akira Asada Phenomenon. Akira. Akira. Shut the fuck up, you little... Japanese nerd. The word you're looking for is weeb, and I know. (laughs) Which took the name of a central figure in the new academism that was a much-discussed topic at the time. Although the feature article ran very long at 14 pages, holy shit, it did not ultimately offer any clarity regarding an explanation for the phenomenon. That's longer than most of our single episode scripts. Yeah. (laughs) The name of the phenomenon was also displayed on the cover of that issue, which has been said to have led to the name becoming known throughout Japan. You know, I've written what are effectively long essays about a lot of different strange things for the show. You know, I've done urban legends that exist only inside of video games. Mm -hmm. I wrote a script about Vlad the Impaler, uh, vampires. I wrote the script for Flat Earth, which was a weird thing to write a whole lot about. I've never imagined anybody sitting down and writing 14 (laughs) pages about why walking into a bookstore make you gotta go number two. <laughs> so when the special feature article was published in 1985, the Mariko Aoki phenomenon received considerable coverage, with even one of Japan's leading magazines, Weekly Bunshin, being quick to feature the topic on its May 2nd, 1985 issue. Book magazine publisher Koji Maguro believed that one of the reasons that the reaction was so considerable was that it was an ordinary young woman who had divulged this concern regarding the delicate topic of her own defecation urge. Mariko Aoki herself has been interviewed multiple times by the book magazine editorial department since 1985 and has remarked that she is not particularly bothered by the name being used. The phenomenon has continued to be referred to sporadically in various media since 1985 and has given birth to a large amount of conjecture and speculation. Now, while there have been at times a tendency to view the connection between bookstores and the defecation urge as a preposterous urban legend, specialists have also appeared who have added detailed insight into the topic, such as that in the latter half of the 1990s, 
it, be, it came to be accepted as an actually existing phenomenon. This can be considered to be due to the impact of television programs that were broadcast during that time. The topic was favorably, favorably introduced in the 1990, in 1995-95 on the television program Lifestyle Refresh Morning on July 26, 1995. This whole thing gives me, like, big, spontaneous human combustion energy. <laughs> It's spontaneous bookstore shitting. <laughs> in the 1998 television program, The Real Side of Unnan, in the episode broadcast on October 28, 1998 on TBS, personalities claiming to have experienced the phenomenon, including Kiyotaka Nabara, Mako Kido, Siko Ito, and Kisuke Horibe, carried out extensive tests that also featured experts. This was a big res- there was a big response to the broadcast and the program featured special segments related to this topic on multiple occasions thereafter. From the year 2000 onward as the internet grew the Maoki the Mariko Aoki phenomenon came to be even more widely known. In 2002 an internet search using the words keyword defecation urge produced links to dozens <laughs> of websites discussing the phenomenon. Another factor that increased its visibility was when in 2003, the weekly magazine Aira, A-E-R-A, Aira, probably Aira, compiled a comprehensive report on the phenomenon. According to one person from the bookstore industry, around that time, university students could often be seen visiting bookstores to interview staff in order to research the phenomenon. In 2012, on the television program The Quiz God, Uh, The contestants were asked the question, what is the name generally given to a phenomenon named after the woman who submitted a letter to a magazine in 1985 about the phenomenon of experiencing a defecation urge when one is in a bookstore for a long period of time? Of the 20 contestants, 10 correctly answered the Mariko Aoki phenomenon. Quiz scholar and designer Hiroshi Nishino has has observed that even when phrases such as the Mariko Aoki phenomenon or the Dylan effect which is a Japanese phrase referring to how a song or part of it can get stuck in one's head on an endless loop, have not received academic consensus. Tim, I, I, part of me is glad that I have a new word for that specific phenomenon, but then the rest of me is bummed out that that word is Dylan. Yeah. Who hasn't known an asshole named Dylan? Well, I thought Bob Dylan. Oh, yeah? Yeah, that's what Did I thought. Did you specifically get a, do- a Bob Dylan song stuck in your yeah. head? Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> When they ha- uh, have not received academic consensus, when they have an appealing sound to them, they are increasingly being asked as quiz questions, he said. According to Book Magazine's publisher, Shigeru Hamamoto, Hama- the magazine was, was still occasionally receiving inquiries from television programs and other magazines, even in 2012. Hamamoto stated that the phenomenon was just a one-time topic and is probably one that will continue to be talked about into the future. Here we are. Yep. While the phrase Mariko Aoki phenomenon is not generally used in fields such as medicine or biology due to its history of being a topic of interest, such as in the example set out above, it is even sometimes introduced as being standard nomenclature. It has been introduced in the same category as the terminology from psychology and sociology, such as Peter Pan syndrome and empty nest syndrome. Um. So, persons with a history of experience in the Mariko Aoki phenomenon was described as having book bow tendency. Nice. 
no epidemiological research regarding people with a book bowel tendency has been reported as of 2012, and nor do any statistics exist regarding a detailed morbidity rate of, of or the like. You know what I think that gives the most merit to in terms of an explanation? What? Is the the association with reading on the toilet. Yeah. Because people don't do that anymore. Mm-hmm. No, we play we play mobile games on the toilet now. Right. Or, you know, we scroll, we doom scroll on Facebook on the toilet now. We still read on the toilet, but not books. We don't we don't read paper stuff on the toilet. Although I do love when I go to somebody's house and they have like a big book of bathroom facts. I've got their like an entire shelf of my house, um, my bookshelf. Yeah. Of a thing called the bathroom reader. Yeah. Which is just no, and they have it like where you can do like one page. Mm-hmm. If you got a real quick one, but if you got one of those leg numbing ones where you got to sit for yeah, a while, they've uh, got like long stories that you can read in it. Nice. I love those. Yeah, that's great. So one report has estimated the prevalence as being between, I'm sorry, I skipped it. <sighs> According to one very small scale study, when the fact, while the fact that people with a book bowel tendency existed throughout all of Japan indicated a lack of any regional difference. A female bias was observed with the male to female ratio between one to four or to one to two. It has also been posited that the tendency is uncommon in so-called sporty males. Uh, One report has estimated the prevalence as being between one in 10 to one in 20 people. It has also been approximated that at least a few million people in Japan have experienced the phenomenon. According to a Japanese online survey that was targeted at working women between ages 22 and 33, the number of responses answering yes to the question, have you ever felt a defecation urge while in a bookstore, was 40 out of 150, or 26.7%. Uh, that's a pretty significant number, yeah. really. But, I mean, it's also a vague question. Yeah. While there's no clear peak age of onset, instances of adult onset appear to be common, with the 20s and 30s age group being prominent. I love that we're talking about adult onset <laughs> in, in this context. Yes. On the other hand, instances of children who experience the phenomenon have also been reported. It can be said to be a phenomenon that anyone could potentially experience, as there appears to be no difference in the rate of incidence depending on family history. Mariko Aoki's mother, however, has said that she feels there might be some kind of genetic factor involved in the phenomenon, given that her own younger brother, i.e. Mariko Aoki's uncle, experienced similar symptoms to those of Mariko. The phenomenon is also known to show a tendency to pass on from person to person. There has been found to be many attached individuals among people such as authors and those involved in publishing. On the other hand, a tendency can be seen for the phenomenon to not occur readily among people such as bookstore employees or the families of bookstore managers. But there is not a complete absence of cases among people related to bookstores. Um, Plastic surgeon Kiyoshi Matsuo has noted that it can recur to anyone. Why are they getting with a plastic surgeon? Yeah, I don't know. Of of all medical professions to pull yeah. about this. Maybe go gastroenterologist. Right. You know, no, plastic surgeon. Or psychologist, mostly, because yeah. I'm still... My, my biggest credit to this yeah. is the, the psychological connection of well, reading on the toilet. We're going to get to the uh, contributing factors here. Mariko Aoki relates that being in a bookstore for a long period of time or smelling the scent of new books for a long period of time will set the series of symptoms, set off the series of symptoms. According to Aoki, the symptoms can develop in such situations regardless of the type of book, whether when cradling a highbrow literary tome, 
or when standing to browse read to browse read a manga comic. She also notes that the phenomenon. I, I do have to correct you on this one because if I don't, somebody else will. It is manga. Manga. Yet may. Aoki also notes that the phenomenon can all can be reproduced more readily when a bit constipated or on the morning after having a nightcap. As for locations where the phenomenon is experienced, reports include that symptoms are particularly strong when in a large bookstore. It readily occurs at English language bookstores, she said. It can occur just not in bookstores that sell new books, but also in secondhand bookstores or libraries. It occurs only in libraries and when the member of a magazine editorial team is in the company our company's archive rooms. Oh, ladies and gentlemen, Kat's here with us now, and she's coming in midway, and she is shocked at what we are explaining to her right now. Hi. <laughs> Hi. What? Other? What? It is. All right, we're going to try this again. We're you having. Want me to put that on for. Like... No, leave it. Okay. Yeah, just, just leave it off. Don't touch it. Don't yeah, touch. Just don't pop okay. your peas too much. Yeah. And don't be a promise. <laughs> But, uh, so yeah, so yeah, it is a real thing. I apparently. genuinely have experienced this. I just did not know mm-hmm. that other people experienced this. To the extent that it has a name. Yes. Yep. The Mariko Aoki Phenomenon. <laughs> uh, so yeah, it readily occurs in English language booksellers. It can occur not just in bookstores that sell new books, but also secondhand bookstores or libraries. It occurs only in libraries, and when the member of a magazine editorial team, as in the company's ar- said that in the company's archive rooms, there are also cases where once people exit a bookstore due to having perceived a defecation urge, b- before they know it, the symptoms have subsided. Yeah, cases have also been identified where the phenomenon does not occur in bookstores, secondhand bookstores, or libraries, but in places such as CD stores, video rental stores, and video game stores. According to an online survey targeting working females aged 22 to 34 who were asked in what situations they tend to be confronted with the sudden defecation urge, what the hell? While responses were received of the likes of when standing on a train on the way to work and when feeling nervous before a meeting, the response when in a bookstore stood out particularly. Now, the circumstances of the moment in which the defecation urge appears have been described as including when reading the spine covers of books, when looking through the bookshelves in bookstores, when standing in bookstores while browse reading, when viewing the spine titles of the array of books laid out on bookshelves, as soon as having entered a bookstore and being summoned by books or surrounded by books, sorry, being being summoned summoned. by books. (laughs) (laughs) When, um, shit that's what i'm gonna say going to work now yeah you're being summoned by the books <laughs> yes it's like oh what are you doing instead of like oh i'm driving to work i'm being summoned by the books <laughs> uh and when selecting a book from the library and directly after doing a once through of the new release books one opinion is that it often happens when reading serious books such as literary oh. works the novelist jiro asada has said that the strength of the symptoms are proportionately related to the size of the bookstore and the degree of difficulty of the books he's looking for. I feel like that might just be because you spend more time in a larger bookstore. Yeah. Yeah. And therefore, statistically, you are more likely to have to poop because you were there for longer. (laughs) It's a fair point. Another person who used to be struck by a defecation urge whenever going to a bookstore reported that the symptoms suddenly resolved themselves immediately upon staring at part-time 
I'm sorry, starting a part-time job in a bookstore. In subsequent media interviews, Mariko Aoki has added the following details about the phenomenon. When walking around in circles through the bookstore and bookshelves and bookstores, she will suddenly want to go to the bathroom. The phenomenon occurs when she's been in a bookstore for an hour or more. The phenomenon occurs completely irrespective of the type of books. It has never happened to her in a library or secondhand bookstore, and she has always worked in a printery where there are many opportunities for exposure to the smell of paper and ink, but there was never any onset of the symptoms. And I'm not going to go into this where we detail uh, the symptoms and the onset, because it actually talks about gurgle, 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 and yeah, so we're just going <laughs> to skip that. Yeah, that's fine. That's another, fine. another possible theory is that a lot of bookstores now have coffee shops. And that it's actually the smell True. of coffee that makes you have the urge. Yeah, I mean, but you're in there do longer it. than you would be in a coffee shop. You yeah, know? right. Uh, although there has been much examination by numerous experts and thinkers as to the mechanisms of the phenomenon, a consensus of opinion has yet to be reached. The author Jun- Junichiro Un- oh, Junichiro Junichiro. I'm gonna smell. I will send you to Jesus. I just know how to pronounce Japanese names. Okay, U-E-M-A-E. 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 M-A-E? Probably Umai. Umai. So, Junichiro Ueme. Ueme? Ueme has commented that at first glance there appears to be no common thread in a manner akin to the hypothetical concept of the flap of a butterfly's wing in Brazil setting up a tornado in Texas. To date, there has been little attempt to scientifically validate the phenomenon such, at, such that the state of observation currently does not extend beyond experts and thinkers asserting their own theories among each other, theories which are based on subjective judgment. You mean we haven't devoted resources and <laughs> funding to this? No, we Fuck. haven't. What a waste. It is. And no, I definitely, like, now, I, I definitely have experienced the phenomenon to the point where when you guys said it, I was like, oh, crap, like, other people <laughs> experience yeah. it. Um, but nice. But um, I now, as you were getting more into it, I was just like, oh, I definitely still like to go to bookstores. I go to a lot of secondhand bookstores, mm-hmm. but I definitely don't experience it now that I work in a library. You know, yeah, like, I genuinely can't. You're remember. immune now. Yeah, I I feel like I'm probably more immune to it. Like I don't, I can't remember the last time that I had that phenomena in a bookstore. So I'm not gonna do it this time. <laughs> it's only been done 80 times in this I was, episode. I was going to say, I've already done it too many times. It's played out. <laughs> she has no idea. I'm so lost. The phenomena. Yeah, that's the one. Yep. That's the last one. We, we've hit our limit. Yep. <laughs> yes, but I had to be a part of the joke because I love anything Muppets. So that's it. We talked about zombie pigs and pooping in bookstores. Yeah. So on that note, we're going to wrap up because um, we got some cleaning up to do, you know, zombie pigs and poop. So uh, <laughs> messy, messy topics, messy topics. So I've been Don. I've been Josh. We didn't introduce ourselves, but we who didn't. cares? And and I've been Kat. Yeah, she came for the, in halfway for the last through. 10 minutes. Yes. <laughs> and we'll talk to you later. Bye. Goodbye. Bye. Be good to yourselves.